So, hi, everybody. It's like, it's Sunday night, and the feeling's right. I got kind of weird, quick. So, um, my name is Lee. I'm the senior associate pastor here at Bridgeway and prop of the house, um, which to some is a strange title. To us, is probably not. Um, but being prophet of the house, I get like a lot of downloads, and one of them, I'm curious to see if anybody else picked up on, and uh, during service, it was like I could tell how nervous, the, how nervous we make the enemy. Does anybody else feel like we make the enemy really nervous? Like Bridgeway, the church, our church? Um, it's like he doesn't know what to do with us, because he can't really figure us out, and it kind of makes me really excited. And the message that I'm going to share with you guys tonight um, really makes him nervous. So he's like biting his nails right now, and that's kind of my love language, is like messing with the enemy right now, which is not on a scorecard or metric that you can go online and do a test and find that out, but that's mine. So, yeah. Um, Before we dive in, though, because it's going to be kind of heavy, I'm not supposed to like preface things like that, because then people are like, oh my gosh. Um, But I I feel like I kind of need to. Um, I'm going to give you guys a quick little kind of get to know me. Um, thing at the beginning here, and each time I've spoken, which I got, I did get out of this morning uh, about the vulnerability piece, um, I'll share something about myself just because I want you guys to get to know me. So in an effort to do that, I'm going to share a few little things you may not know about Lee Vartanian. Um, one of them is that every morning I grind my own coffee, right? That's not kind of normal, kind of not. I mean, it's kind of getting popular now, but I would hand grind my coffee for all my pour-overs, which is super hardcore. Um, Time is of the essence, and so I've kind of went away from that. I got an electric burr grinder. You don't chop coffee beans with blades. You need to grind them properly with a burr grinder. Um, And so so that's one of my things. I do pour-overs every morning. Um, Something else is that I, my downtime, I enjoy a magazine called Dwell. Anybody here who's ever heard of it? Me and Teresa and one other person. Um, it's, a, it's a modern design magazine, mostly architectural, right? So you guys are getting to know me, right? Except you don't even know what I'm talking about. So it's like you kind of don't get to know me through this process, which is kind of counterintuitive. So this next part, hopefully I'll have at least a few people that will be able to like resonate. Um, I love listening to really odd music. Does anybody think that they self-identify as listening to odd music? I got like there's a handful of us. See, that's not bad. That's way better than the last two, right? So, um, and when I say odd, you guys are probably trying to think, you know, what's odd, um, like what kinds of music I might consider odd. And so I'll tell you a few of those things. Um, right now, I'm really into listening to uh, recordings of street musicians from the 1950s by uh, a gentleman named Tony Schwartz. Anybody do that? Is there, you know that's a thing? It's amazing. You can get all these things online now. Um, Another favorite of mine, um, and this is, I hope that at least one person would have heard of him, because he's kind of a big deal, um, that's Harry Bertoa, and he plays, uh, he has, a, I love right now, I'm listening to his, um, his minimalist Sony Ambient collection, where he plays um, uh, sound sculptures in his barn in Pennsylvania. Any Harry fans out there? And there's not one Harry fan? All right, I tried. I tried to connect. I did. You guys can tell Chad, try to connect. Um, So, yeah, so when it comes to things like music, um, I really do take this whole 1 Corinthians 6.12 approach, right? So, you know, not 
like everything from miscible to when everything's beneficial. So I kind of listened to all kinds of crazy things. But back in the day, I used to run in charismatic circles. And like listening to secular music was, was really a big no-no. Um, and I'm going to see, I'll probably find at least one person here that will be able to resonate with this. Um, when I was a kid, so I was a teenager during those, during those years, um, we would do these things called CD smashings, where you would take all of your secular CDs and destroy them in the name of consecration. Anybody else ever done that before? Wow, see, I knew it. I knew you guys were out there. I knew it. Oh, my charismatic friends. So, but... So, like, but that's kind of also aging us because, like, people don't really listen to CDs anymore. Do they? Any CD listeners out there? Oh, we're all, like, older, most of us. There's a couple people just hanging on. Um, You know, like, because now everything's electronic, digital. It's in the cloud, right? So, like, what would you do? You would go and delete your library, your music library, you know? Like, that's, that'd be the equivalent of it. Do people do that? But then it keeps coming back because it's in the cloud. Everything stays in the cloud, which I also don't understand because it's like, you know, like I, ha- I kind of have music, but I don't, you know, because it has a little like cloud symbol with a little arrow. Like I have to like download it. And then it takes like seconds, which is really concerning because that means whatever that file is somewhere in the world, it's getting zapped around from place to place in like seconds. Does this not freak anybody else out? It, like wigs. These are the kinds of things that keep me up at night. So... Uh, yeah, so in all seriousness, you know, the reason why, you know, when I was in those, well, I guess we're charismatic, right? I guess crazy charismatic would be the CD smashing. We're not going to do any CD smashings in the parking lot after this, I promise. But you should delete some of those songs probably. Um, just saying. <laughs> Wasn't pointing out anybody in the room. Um, so, yeah, but in all seriousness, the reason why we would do that and the reason why we would um, go through and like smash CDs that are probably now collectible um, would be because, uh, you know, it's because of consecration. So there's like a real, real good reason for why we would do that. Um, in those years, you know, like I was taught that you couldn't be uh, exposed to those types of things because, um, you know, there's bad lyrics and those things are going to kind of rot your mind. And um, that same principle we actually would apply to who we could and couldn't hang out with, which is not... Um, conducive to actually sharing the gospel with anyone. So in my high school years, while I was a bit of a Bible thumper because of the kind of circles that I ran in, I also had this sort of like uh, tension in me where I had a disdain for anything that really separated out Christians from the world. Um, And so my approach to how I would try and evangelize actually scared my parents half to death. I know that because I've talked to them since, and they would say they have no idea where I was, if I was alive or dead, because, you know, I was drawn to the, the kids that would never darken the door of a church. Um, I didn't have that background, but I was, it's like Christ in me was drawn to them, and so I would go places where people are doing things that, um, you know, I probably shouldn't have been in those, in those environments, and my parents were freaked out a little bit by it. But, like, I knew that that was the only chance that some of those guys might actually experience um, Christ was, you know, just through me just being there. Um, now, I can't say that I would encourage that now because uh, the places that I was in, the things that I was around, I would say it's probably actually a miracle um, that I didn't get into anything. Um, 
I'm really principally driven, still am, so things have always kind of seemed black and white to me, so, you know, maybe that helped out. Um, but the reason why I wouldn't encourage that behavior um, is because the statement, uh, you are the company you keep, actually rings pretty true. Um, because being around those things, uh, it, has an, it has an effect. It has an effect. I'll say that. It can have an effect. So I would really be a little more careful with my evangelistic approach now um, if I was going to do it again. So just you guys don't take any notes on that part of it, although my intentions were good. Um, but the reason why like, I would actually discourage that approach now, at least the way I was going about it, um, is because uh, the enemy actually is pretty good at getting us to um, compromise through our good intentions. And I'm going to really talk to you guys a little bit about that. See, the enemy would like you guys to believe that he just gets you to stumble into sin. He wants you to think that it just kind of happens at random. Because if you can believe that, then it's really kind of hard to combat that. How do you combat something that you just trip into? Like, it's an accident. It's always an accident. There's nothing, you know, uh, there's no structure to it. There's no system in place. And the reality is, is that he has a much more systemic approach um, to getting us to be trapped in different types of sins. So tonight I'm going to talk about one of his approaches. Um, and I'm going to tell you the name of it, and I apologize ahead of time for it. Um, it's, I'm going to call it the enemy's discipleship model, which is kind of crazy to teach the enemy's discipleship model at church. When I said that and I was typing it, I didn't realize that um, the initials for that would be EDM, which is also stands for electronic dance music, which I actually love because I love strange music, sound ambient, EDM. So I'm going to rename it, if that's okay, if I kind of go off. No, so it's going to be the devil's discipleship model. So I don't know any DDM type music that I could be messing up on it when I say that. So here we go. Um, when I say that, understand that there's a right side up and an upside down, which we talked about, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, when I say discipleship model, kind of what I'm talking about is the fact that the enemy has been doing a lot better at discipling people than the church has. Sounds harsh to say it, but if you did a poll and found out how many Christians there are in the world versus how many people there are in the world, it's kind of you know, kind of tells you what you need to know. The numbers aren't going to lie. And so let's talk about how that looks because, you know, I don't like to think of the idea that the enemy would be beating us at our own game um, because, again, God's the one that orchestrated all these things in terms of how we're supposed to connect with each other. And I think that when I say that he's beating us at our own game, that counts as a sports reference. Is that a sports reference? Because I, I do believe that I have to at least give one of those per message in order to continue speaking. You did a good. You did like five of them, but I don't even know the Vols, Vols, Vols played today. All right, I don't. I try. I'm trying. This is me trying, guys. Sonny Ambient. Just remember Sonny Ambient. Guy in his barn playing sound sculptures. It's magical. You should listen to it. Um, so I, before we get into it, um, to kind of set things up before I kind of break this thing down. Um, I want to go through a quick review of some of the messages that I, that I had spoke about before. Um, if you guys remember back to the Make Your Bed series, where I talked about my boot camp experience, um, what the principle that I was talking about in that series, in that message, uh, was that like boot camp, which is at Paris Island, which the drill instructors call Paradise Island, 
right? I got some marine friends here. Um, it's a magical place. Uh, every, single, every single day, everything that you do is either getting you closer to or further from your destination. And they're very open about that. Um, and honestly, that's exactly how things work on the ascent. We talked about the ascent in our last series. Um, all your decisions, everything you're doing is either getting you further up or further away from the mountain of God. And so it's important to note that, you know, when it comes to our Psalms 24 ascent, um, there's actually no such thing as standing still. I talked about that as well. Um, you're, you're always moving. So when somebody's saying that they feel stuck, if you're really to get that person down, you know, to the details and minutia of what they're talking about and the situation in their life, um, it, they wouldn't actually say that they're stuck. What they'd say is that they wrestled with something or an idea or a, or a thought or a struggle, and that if they're still in it, then that means they're now believing that lie over God's truth, which puts them on the descent. Um, the next thing I talked about was uh, the kingdom of darkness and how it has its own structure. Um, there's a TV series that I can't recommend anybody watch because it's kind of dark called um, Stranger Things. And um, on cue, my phone's alarm's going off. He's at the push a little button. Uh, Stranger Things. Um, and in Stranger Things, they talk about this place called the Upside Down, which is a shadow reflection of the world above. And I talked about that because uh, really that's a great image of how the structure of the Upside Down really plays out and looks. You know, because just like we have a, a mountain of God that we ascend, um, the enemy has, like, really it's a negative reflection of, a perversion of the mountain of God. To us, it would look like a pit. But if you were party to that, if that was the walk, your walk, um, then you would actually think you're actually gaining elevation. The further down you go, it would look like you're going up because your feet would be touching my feet, right? Like a reflection in a pond. So we talked about that, Matthew six twenty four. We talked about Matthew six twenty four um, to kind of make the point that no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. We also talked about Ezekiel twenty eight fourteen, um, where we read about the enemy's fall and find out that he actually ministered on the holy mountain of God, which is why to him, us ascending the mountain of God is really personal. And it's also why he knows exactly what he needs to do to prevent us from actually ascending it. So tonight we're going to talk to you guys about one of those strategies. And so we're going to talk about the devil's discipleship model. Now, the easiest way for me to kind of go through this with you guys is if we can pick a particular sin to talk about. So we're going to give it some context. Um, and so the particular sin, we're going to pick one that's kind of easy to follow. And again, I'm not trying to make light of any of these things. I'm just, I, I need an example to be able to walk you guys through this. Is going to be drug addiction. Drug addiction is something that if you don't, aren't, um, have never been familiar with it or around it yourself, there's enough in media and that people understand, you know, kind of what that is and the impacts it has on, you, on a person. So we're going to talk about drug addiction. So I'm going to talk about the spirit of addiction as if it were a person. Now, I'm going to tell you guys that I'm not a big spirit of fan. So when I say spirit of, you know, I'm not going to say spirit of everything because um, I think some people will take it to the extreme where they have the spirit of traffic, the spirit of snooze alarm, snoozing alarm. Like when really you should probably just wake up earlier, maybe leave the house a few minutes earlier instead of blaming the enemy for the spirit. I can't just put spirit up. Right. But we are going to talk about, so I'm going to talk about the spirit of addiction. All right. So you guys ready to jump right in? 
This is super exciting. All right, step one. Stage one on the descent. If you're taking notes and you want to get somebody to not be on the descent, now be the time. Stage one in the devil's discipleship model is proximity. Proximity. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You see, since the enemy is not omniscient and has finite resources, he has to start off with proximity. But there's a small problem with that because if any of these spirit ofs were to, kind of, were to manifest in the natural and ask you to smoke something, you would probably, we'd have nobody smoking anything. Like nobody would ever do any of those things because nobody would listen to the ugly little minion walking up to them. And so they have to operate through people to get us to kind of buy in so it's not as jarring and alarming when they come up to it. So when I say proximity, what I'm really talking about is that a person, let's call him Bob for this scenario. Do we have any Bobs in here? Oh, we have one Bob. I'm sorry, Bob. Listen, don't you guys judge Bob, please. Just, I love you, Bob. I'm sorry. I was kind of counting. It's a normal, it's a common name, and I was kind of, all right, sorry. So when I, when I say, um, when I'm talking about this, uh, what I mean is that Bob would need to be in proximity with another person who's being manipulated by the spirit of addiction. And we're going to call, we're going to call that person the host. All right, they're going to be the host of the spirit for this scenario. Now, it's important to understand that the connections that are about to take place are between Bob and the spirit. Um, it's going to appear like Bob is connecting with the host, um, but really what's happening is that that spirit that's drawing Bob kind of into this relationship. Um, because what the enemy is going to do is he's going to actually use the way that we're wired, the way that God intended us to operate in community actually against us, which, unfortunately for most people, is the enemy's favorite. Uh, elf from uh, the Buddy the Elf, from the Buddy the Elf movie, um, smiling was his favorite, uh, using the way that we're supposed to function against each other and perverting that is the enemy's favorite. So in the spiritual landscape, the way that proximity, that first stage, would look, um, it looked look like two people standing shoulder to shoulder. They'd just be standing shoulder to shoulder, um, looking in the same direction. Um, if we were going to use the imagery of circles, that actually works really well um, for this. Uh, you would just see two circles, and they would be side by side. So one circle would be spirit of, the other circle um, would be Bob, and they would just be touching. Now, for each stage, there's going to be tells. Um, a tell in poker is where a change in a player's behavior or demeanor gives clues um, that will give that player's assessment of their hand, where they think they have a good hand, strong hand, a weak hand um, that you can act on. So each of these stages, there'll be tells. And the further we get into this discipleship model, um, the more obvious the tells are going to get. In this initial stage, they are almost non-existent. Um, as we go further down it, you're going to realize that we'll be giving up our free will, or actually using our free will to harm ourselves because we're the ones that have to give the enemy authority because actually technically we have all authority through Christ. So we're actually going to be giving it up. And the more we give up, um, the less of us we're going to find and the easier it is to tell. So at proximity stage, um, one, of these, one of the things that you might expect, uh, Bob, is he'd start hanging out with the host more often. Um, so this looks like 
with the proximity stage that uh, he's going to be spending more time with, with the host or with people that are like the host, people that value the same types of things. It sounds harsh, but listening to the same type of music. There's all these kind of like little indicators. Not any one of them is bad. It's just you get a totality of them that gives you an understanding of what's actually happening. Um, this is the stage, because we're talking about drug addiction, that Bob would start to uh, experiment um, with drugs uh, at this stage. So stage one is proximity. Um, stage two is going to be uh, relationship. All right, so we're around those people or that whatever the host is. Um, this next stage is, is relationship. And this is where Bob would start turning his, um, his attention and his interest would be turned towards the same interest as the spirit that is um, influencing the host. There's a transactional nature um, in this stage where there's a give and a take. Um, they're going to start connecting at a deeper level at this stage. In the spiritual landscape, um, what it looked like, it'd be two people holding uh, hands um, in terms of their connection. So they'd be hand in hand. And in the imagery of two circles, um, what you start to see is you start to see this slight overlap. Um, Psalm 1-1 tells us that blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stay in the way of sinners, take or sit in the company of mockers. One of the tells in this stage is that Bob's probably going to start using a lot of similar language, um, phrases maybe. Uh, people probably around Bob will probably start saying things, man, you sure are starting to sound a lot like so-and-so, whoever this host is in this scenario. Um, and this is the point at which you'd expect uh, Bob to be more habitually uh, abusing drugs and spending more and more time now as this investment gets further uh, with the people that are also taken over um, by the same type of spirit. So stage one is proximity. Stage two is relationship. And the next stage is partnership. This is where Bob would actually begin to co-labor with the Spirit. In the spiritual landscape, this would look like two people linking arm in arm. Um, they would start to look, it would start to look a lot more like two becoming one. And if we use the circle imagery at this stage, um, it would be about half and half overlapping each other. The tells in this stage are going to get a lot stronger now. Because the further Bob gets down the path, like I told you guys before, um, the less work the enemy actually has to do to keep him trapped in this way of thinking. And so he's going to start getting sloppier because he doesn't have to cover things up as much. Um, at this stage, Bob and the host um, might find each other uh, finishing each other's sandwiches. Sentences. Right? That was a... Never mind. Um, little on and Hans. Right? Right? Which actually is a good example of a bad relationship. Hey, I'm not wrong. So Bob and the host at this stage um, have, have actually bonded in a way that is only possible through time and common interest. If you're to say something bad about the host, you'd be confronted by Bob, as if you said something bad about Bob. So to attack one is to attack the other. This is the stage that it really becomes difficult um, to get through to Bob because Bob has a very strong support system built around his drug addiction. Now, it's important for me to remind you guys that, you know, while I'm talking about drug addiction, the spirit of drug addiction, this can be applied to really any type of harmful behavior. Um, it doesn't have to be as harsh as this. Anything that is counterintuitive to a child of the king, this can apply to. 
So now Bob can effectively carry out the Spirit's wishes without having to really be around the host anymore. Um, that doesn't mean that Bob will miss spending time with the host. Uh, it just means that he isn't, he's not as dependent as he used to be. Uh, Bob will now begin to look a lot less like the person that you used to know him to be like. Uh, because the Spirit doesn't actually have to hide um, itself much anymore, um, you know, Bob's speech would be now completely different to the point that his speech and mannerisms, um, you may, if you knew him, maybe you grew up with him or something like that, you know, you would have a really hard time finding Bob. Um, you'd have a hard time finding things th- th- in terms of how he used to be. Uh, so this is the stage where, you know, you could expect Bob to go from habitually using drugs to actually selling them now and distributing. Now this is the place where the enemy really wants to keep you the longest because the spirit gets the biggest return on his investment um, at this stage. The problem is not what we talked about earlier and that's that you can't ever actually stop the progression either way. You're either ascending or descending. So to combat this, what the spirit will actually do is he will actually let you start working your way out of it and ascending. Um, but he's, gonna, he's just basically giving you a little bit more leash, a little bit more rope. And so whenever that leash gets to the end, it tugs on it really hard, almost just to make a point and to show you who's boss and to get you back to work. And the reason why this back and forth um, is actually so effective is because in a semi, even a semi-healthy community, um, it, puts, uh, it puts people at kind of at rest. Like, so if I know that you're at least improving, depending on what I'm seeing you, maybe every other week you see me making improvement, um, that community typically, even a healthy community, will get put into more of a passive state. You know, like Bob's actually doing okay. Um, in a performance culture, uh, actually a number of times that Bob comes back, it probably is probably going to be celebrated. Second Corinthians six fourteen says, "Do not be yoked with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness?" James four seventeen. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. And then Matthew eighteen six through 7. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. So stage one's proximity. Stage two is relationship. Stage three is partnership. And the fourth and final stage is transformation. This is where Bob and the Spirit are really hard to separate. The spirit of a drug addiction, in this case, has fused on a cerebral level. There's studies in, in the secular world that can prove that as fact. In the spiritual landscape, it's hard to tell where the Spirit stops and Bob starts. If you were to look at it with the imagery of the circles, you would see just the tiniest of sliver left that would remain of Bob's circle. Now the tells at this stage are the absolute strongest. Bob will have almost completely lost all of his ability um, to even 
portray any part of who he used to be. This is the stage where his own mother wouldn't have recognized him if, he, if she walked up to him on the street. Bob's going to have a difficulty determining what's reality and what's not. What are his thoughts or the spirits? He'll be able to operate completely independent from interacting with the host because now Bob himself has become a host. As a drug addict, uh, Bob's body now technically needs the thing that's killing him to the point that not having it um, elicits real, not perceived pain. Now, in order for the um, demonic spirit to continue being effective, it does have to ensure that enough of Bob, uh, enough of that person remains um, and has to be still present because he has to continue to operate semi-undetected. As a host, Bob is now actively discipling others. And that's part of the reason why the enemy needs a little bit of you to be there. So you could at least have a a semi-normal conversation with somebody to kind of get them trapped into the the same things you're trapped into. Um, The spirit of addiction uh, will let that sliver of Bob remain as long as possible. But if Bob doesn't make a hard turn, if he doesn't experience a break from that covenantal relationship that he's made with that spirit, that sliver is going to soon disappear. Bob's going to be gone either figuratively or literally through an overdose. As a police officer, I've seen the end of this progression firsthand, um, and it's traumatic. The people that, and we get to see like their photos in terms, like every time they get booked in tension, we'll see their photos, and it's, it's a visible thing. It's not, you, you can't really hide it. Um, it. It literally contorts your face, and there's, there's things you can see on somebody's physical uh, body that would, allow you to understand what's happening and to see who they were before and who they are after is, um, is traumatic, for sure. But the more alarming thing to me is how benign the first three stages are. Because the enemy is a master of deception. And I think people will be shocked to know um, how many believers who think they are being the light of the world in dark places are actually opening themselves up to proximity and unhealthy relationships with the lost. If you're a recovering drug addict, then you know that um, you want to, might want to be sober for a while before you go back into the house parties and start putting yourself around those, um, around those environments. It takes a strong understanding of who you are in the equation. As a believer, you carry something that they need. It's not the other way around. That should make us unapologetic about our pursuit of holiness while keeping our hearts tender for the lost. Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. It doesn't say that we're the light of the light. We're the light in the darkness. So I'm not talking about staying away from the lost. Jesus Jesus was called a friend of the sinners. But if I fail to abide by the same principles that he did, that allowed him to be in those environments and still live a life above reproach, then I've missed it. There is a way to minister in the same places that Jesus ministered to without compromising or falling to the enemy's traps. Matthew eleven nineteen says that the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proven right by our deeds. I believe that I have identified three Um, Pretty simple steps to allow you guys to go into the darkness and be the light without compromise. 
So these are probably more important than the last four. Step one is identity. You have to know who you are in him. Galatians 4, 7 says, So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Step two is relationship. You have to know him. You have to know whose you are. But you can't know him fully if you can't approach him from the right identity. If you approach him as a slave, then it's going to have an impact and an effect on the nature of your relationship. But if you don't fear him, then you won't even be able to begin. So it has to be both fear and friendship. Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of the resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. And step three is obedience. I think a lot of people get the steps mixed up. And they'll try to be obedient to a voice that they can't even effectively identify. And then they'll blame God when things don't work out. John 5, 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does. The people that live by the whole I do what I want mantra are really missing out. And Jesus Christ didn't do what he wanted to do. He only did what he he saw the Father do. But if you don't have a healthy relationship with the Father... You have a really hard time hearing his voice. If you can't hear his voice, then you're not going to know what he's asking you to do. It's very easy to misunderstand what he's saying, making it then impossible to do what he's asking. John ten twenty seven. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So now a recovering drug addict, if Bob, after he's recovered, um, can check those three steps off, and he knows who he is, whose he is, in the sound of his master's voice. And God tells him to go back to the house parties. Then he gets to. And when he does, he gets to win the lost and not miss a beat. And if that approach seems unconditional to some of you guys, that's okay. I think we're probably all outside the box thinkers here. Um, if it freaks you out to think about going to a house party, that's okay, uh, because Jesus Christ was unconventional. Let's read the Gospels. Um, and it's actually pretty easy to know if somebody's walking in the light or getting drawn into the darkness, because you can just look at the fruit. The fruit of a, live, of a life lived like Christ when he walked this earth is unmistakable, because you'll experience the same things that he did when he ministered, where he ministered, to who he ministered to. Now, if my description of the stages of the descent described maybe you or a loved one, I want you guys to remember the hope that we have in him in Romans eight thirty-eight through 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord. In Matthew five fourteen through 16, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So let's be that city on a hill, but let's not just shine a light. Let's shine our light for all of time. And to do that, we're going to have to balance both the friendship with God and the fear of the Lord. And be sober enough to know that the enemy's plan is to derail us and take advantage of our best intentions. Remember who you are, whose you are, and do whatever he says. And watch heaven invade earth no matter where you go. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your revelation. Lord, we thank you that we have a hope that the world is in desperate need of. I thank you, Father, that you've called us to seek and save, to go out and to be Christ to others. And I thank you, Lord, that you have made it so clear how we get to do that without compromise and in a way that won't actually cost us anything. I thank you, Father, that eternity is in the balance. I pray that we'd be sober to that reality and that we would actually be boldened to go out into the world knowing exactly who we are, whose we are, and what you're asking us to do. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Go in peace.